We're excited to share this podcast in partnership with the American Association of Nurse Anesthetists as part of the new video and audio streaming platform, the CRNA Knowledge Network. For currently active members of the ANA, you can earn free Class A continuing education credits with this podcast through January 31, 2020. Yes, you heard it right. It is free. Visit aanackn.com and log in with your AANA user ID and password to access the audio sessions. Sharon and I here at Beyond the Mask, we're happy to be part of this initiative and we hope you enjoy the show. Beyond the Mask is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Schedule a free consultation today at crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. My co-host is Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, the past president of the AANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles in the association. Our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs. We recently went on a podcast recording blitz at the ANA meeting in Chicago. We conducted lots of interviews with some of the industry's most interesting people. Well, Sharon, we're back at it again. I know. We've had a we've had a long day of podcast taping. We have. The day's not over and we got tomorrow. Absolutely. Eighteen we are taping in two days in Chicago. The Windy City. Yep, my hair's showing it too. (laughs) At the ANA Annual Congress, and uh, we have another very special guest, and I mean special in a really good way, Mark. (laughs) Uh, We have Mark Silverman with us here today, and he's a partner at Benish and legal counsel for the AANA. Yes. I mean, coming up on on nine years now. Wow. Wow, Has it been? It has. Wow. And so, wait just a minute. Let me do some math. You came. I had just gotten on the AANA board, 2010, and so, yes. Okay. Wow. Time flies when you're having fun, right? We've had lots of fun over the years, that's for sure. And Mark, we're going to talk about today the most prevalent contract-related employment issues. Sounds right up your alley. Yeah, I've had the opportunity to discuss a few of these things with CRAs over the years. (laughs) Why why is this so important? You know, at the end of the day, most CRAs are focused on the patient in front of them. And they're worrying about providing health care. Right. And that's one of the things that makes CRNAs as special and as important healthcare providers as they are. But stop and think of it like this. Why is it when you're on the airplane and they say, if you're traveling with the child, the first thing you need to do is put the mask on yourself. Right. It's not because your child's not important. It's not. But if you're not doing what you need to to protect and take care of yourself, you're not going to be in the position to right. take care of the other person. Absolutely. And so in the workplace, if CRNAs haven't done what they need to to protect themselves, they're not going to be in the position to be able to protect 
the patient in front of them and to tune everything else out and focus on the welfare of the patient in front of them. And so these are just things CRNA should know so that they can put themselves into the best position to keep their focus on the welfare of the patient that they're caring for. I like that. Very well put. Again, sounds like you've done this before. Never said that before in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, let's kind of break it down, you know, because most of our listeners did not go to law school, you know. um, And what is a contract and and what are the parts of it and why is it so important to CRNAs? Sure. So what you have to understand is that some CRNAs are working without a contract, right? Illinois, for example, is an employee at Will State. And what that means is you can be fired at any given time. You can quit at any given time. Right. And the only thing that is, is you can't be fired for what would be an illegal reason, something discriminatory, something improper. But some CRNAs do and other CRNAs want to have a contract. And the purpose of a contract is to basically define what people's rights and responsibilities are, what their obligations are to each other. And so, like in its most basic form, a contract is just an agreement between two people that lays out what's the purpose, what are the agreements, what are the terms almost always has to be in writing. I will tell you, you pretty much always want it in writing. Right. Because we've all seen situations where, you know, the employer says, well, look, we're not going to put it in here in writing, but... Yeah. And what I will tell you is, that's great until there's a problem. Yeah. And once there's a problem, the fact that it's not in writing is almost always going to mean it's not enforceable. Yeah. If I remember right from my business school days, I see there's offer, acceptance, and consideration. That is correct. Wow. Still got it, Sharon. Wow. Well done. And I'll tell you, this is a real-life example. Give him a cookie. <laughs> this is a real-life example from a CRNA was there were two health systems in town, and she was working for one of the two health systems because she had obligations to her family that she wanted to be able to work three days on, four days off, so she could care for someone at home. And one system allowed it, and the other system didn't. Mm-hmm. And that was fine. Two systems merged. You'll guess which um. policy And she says, well, I've always been working with this system because, but the terms weren't in her contract. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, if she had a contract that said in there that she was entitled to that. It would have been enforceable. It would have been enforceable. She would have been able to rely on it. So that's one of the things, if anyone, the most important thing I will tell you when it comes to your contract is if it's important to you, make sure it's in there and make sure it's in writing. I know when I signed my last contract, I had writing all over that. And we had to go back and change a lot of things that were in it. I had to stand my ground on that. So we're talking about contracts. Let's define what an employee is. Well, technically an employee, there's two real options. You're going to be an employee or you're going to be an independent contractor. Okay. Right? And most people are employees. I mean, you don't become an independent contractor by accident. That's something that you're going to intentionally do. And usually, whether or not somebody is going to be considered an employee versus an independent contractor is going to turn on how much control they have and how much control the employer has over sort of the what they do, how they do, when they do. Usually, especially in the context of CRNAs, if you're doing work for one person in one situation on a regular basis and they're responsible for you know, all of your income, it's going to lean usually pretty heavily to the idea that you're an employee. Right. Um, a lot of businesses don't want you to be an employee. And the reason they don't want you to be an employee is when you're their employee, there's certain things that come with it, certain benefits, taxes, workers' comp, that all flows from that. Mm-hmm. And all things being equal, there's employers who'd rather not pay that. 
the problem is if you're an independent contractor, you have to sort of make sure that you're protecting and taking care of all of those things for yourself. So, you know, I mean, there's lots of things that the IRS says that what constitutes control and how. At the end of the day, what I would say is that employees are generally going to rely on one employer for their, you know, steady source of income. They're going to give up a certain amount of control or autonomy over what they do in exchange for stability. Right. Where an independent contractor gets to basically be their own boss and do their own thing, but there are certain obligations they then have to take on for themselves. And the IRS has this, what is it, 20 some things laid out, you know, that spell out sure. ideas that you could be an independent contractor, you could be an employee, dependent, because it's pretty vague. I mean, sure. and it, it, it's not it's, cut and dry. Well, and it's very simple. If it were cut and dry, you wouldn't need to hire a lawyer. <laughs> the, the ones who wrote the code <laughs> it's as look as a former healthcare regulator it's wonderful when somebody says well i really need someone who can help me interpret this regulation and i can say well you know funny thing i actually helped write it <laughs> so. that's why congress has 45 percent lawyers in it <laughs> it's also why it's so effective yeah yeah there you go i'm glad you they said fight it. about everything <laughs> i'm glad you said it now I need a little bit of clarification because you say that an independent contractor is not relying on the business as the sole source of income, but yet I know CRNAs who classify themselves as independent contractors, but they just work for one group. So, it, What does that mean? That doesn't mean if you just have one person that you're doing work for. Let's say you create a corporate entity and you have one customer and they're a good enough customer that that can provide you the income that you want. As long as you have the ability to control when you work for how you work, if you have the ability to work for other people in other circumstances, and at the end of the day, it's going to be a balancing test. What you have to remember is it's sort of the same thing with a contract. It's not an issue until it's an issue. Until it's Mm -hmm. an issue. And what you need to understand is if somebody raises this as an issue, right, you need to be able to explain what you did, why you did, how you did, and then in the event that the government agrees with you, you're fine. And in the event that uh, the government does agree with you, there could be some pretty serious consequences for employers who are treating people like 1099s but are in fact employees under the law. So, so there's a lot of CRNA groups out there, CRNA-owned groups and so forth, that we talk to and we work with. and. They've got independent contractors, okay? Mm-hmm. CRNAs go into the same GI clinic five days a week. They're providing the same service five days a week. They're providing that CRNA with drugs. They're telling them when they should get there. They're telling them when they can leave. But they're classifying them as a 1099 independent contractor. I know this is as clear as mud and there's subjectivity in it, but in your professional opinion, is that an independent contractor or is that an employee? I'm going to be a really good lawyer, and I'm going to say it depends. It depends. (laughs) What I'll tell you is this. That scenario that you described, there's certainly a degree of risk. Right. And raises a flag. And what I would say is this. And look, I have throughout the course of the year, because I lecture on this at state, Mm -hmm. I'll have two, three dozen CRNAs reach out to me during the year. And what I will tell you right now is what I tell every single one of them. I help them find employment counsel in their locale. Yeah. Because... One thing that people forget is almost everything when it comes down to employment law is going to be reflective. Some of it's federal. Right. Most a lot of it's, of it's state. state and a lot of it's local and a lot of it's going to be reflective of what the, you know, it's expected in the community you're in. And so if anyone's having a hard time trying to find an employment lawyer, first thing they might want to do is reach out to their state association and talk to other CRNAs. Right. 
But I will tell you, I'm always happy to help someone find that because you need to find someone in your community who can help you. And then if you get a lawyer that looks at it and blesses it, that doesn't necessarily carry the day, but it certainly helps a lot. Well, let me ask you another question because I've heard this from several CRNA owners of groups. And they say that, you know, if, if Sharon comes to me and I'm the employer and she's got her own corporation, Sharon Inc., and I contract with Sharon's corporation, Sharon's corporation cannot be an employee. So therefore, since she's not an employee and I haven't contracted her, I've contracted her corporation. Is there any coverage in that if I describe that same scenario? Is that a better thing for CRNA on groups? It's certainly a better issue but really i think what's going to come down is they're going to look at all the facts and they're going to look was the intention to bypass the protections that come along with being an employee versus an independent contractor gotcha and so the idea what you see a lot of times is someone's an employee someone's an employee someone's an employee and then all of a sudden the employer goes to a conference comes back and all of a sudden they ask all of their employees to incorporate and nothing changes other than now I'm paying Sharon Inc. instead of paying Sharon. And everything else sure looks a whole lot like they're still an employee. And gotcha. the only difference is now, Sharon, you're not getting you know, any you know, taxes. You're not getting any benefits. You're not getting any overtime. You're not getting. And so it's one of those situations where what you have to remember is this. Employers are almost always going to have a degree of leverage over mm-hmm. the employee for the plain fact that they hold the commodity, which is the job. Right. And so... There's situations where the goal of this really is, to some degree, to protect the worker. But let's also be honest. There's a financial benefit to the government when you're an employee. There's extra taxes. There's extra money. There's extra things that get paid in. And so the government, if it's gray, the government's going to push to see you as an employee. I know we're going to get to non-competes hopefully in a little bit. But that brings up a whole lot of questions with non-competes and so forth as well. But Let me ask you another question about... You talked about employee at will. Define that and tell me how many states or do you have any idea how many states are at will or are they all? There's a technical legal term for how many and that's a bunch. A bunch. Okay, good. There's a bunch. <laughs> no, I mean, what I'll tell you is Yeah, this. yeah. Every North Carolina st- is. Every single yeah. time I go to speak at a state association, the first thing I'll do is when I'm organizing, because I don't give just a single presentation. Right. So I'll look to see is that state an employee at will state? Most people will know because if you're working and you don't have a contract, I certainly hope you're an employee at Will State or you're just not really protecting yourself. The other thing I'll do is look up whether or not non-competes are enforceable and how they're enforceable in those states. So an employee will, this is one of the few times it's actually exactly what it sounds like. I'm working there because I want to. You have me as an employee because you want to. Okay. And so somebody can walk in and say, Mark, I don't like your tie. You're fired. And there's really nothing I can do about it unless that's a pretext for something that's improper, right? So something that would improper would be race, gender, religion, military Mm -hmm. service, things of that nature. And look, I say this when we give lectures and I have entire colleagues who will point this out. In today's day and age, you would hope and you would think that you wouldn't need this. The reason we have laws regarding discrimination in the workplace is because people are going to do it. And it's unfortunate. And so it's one of those situations where uh, you need to know what your rights are and you need to know what the circumstances are. So, But it also means that you can quit if you don't like a situation where if you have a contract, there may be obligations of what you're going to have to do or not. Like 90 days. How much notice. (laughs) 
things of that nature. But what's the difference between job description and employment contract? I mean, so that's the one of the things that I just frustrates the heck out of me is when people say, "Well, here, let me show you my contract," and what they'll do is they'll print off a copy of the job description. Mm. And I know this is a silly analogy, but in today's day and age, it really is the best one. I tell people the job description is kind of like someone's online dating profile. Now, I know that sounds silly, but believe it or not. Well, actually, I like that because it's exactly yeah. true. Believe it or not, not everyone is completely honest when they describe themselves really? in these environments. <laughs> yeah, that's shocking. And then you get to meet them, and then you get to realize that perhaps... You know, it's kind of like when you look at that picture of the hotel room and you get there and you're like, all right, I guess I can technically figure out how they took that picture, but the, that doesn't really <laughs> represent and, yeah. and so I tell CRNAs, you know, no one is going to put forth a, do you want right. to work in an environment where you're going to have a supervisor who knows everything, who's going to complain too much, right. expect you to work overtime, not want to pay you in an environment where you're not respected, but everyone's had that job. Mm-hmm. So... The job description is that thing to get you in the door, to get you gotcha. to click, to get you to do that. But it is not enforceable. The contract is what is enforceable. So what is put in writing, what is listed, what is agreed to is going to be. So even though it could say, great job with wonderful benefits, 17 weeks of vacation. If there's no mention of 17 weeks of vacation in your contract, you don't have 17 weeks of vacation that you can enforce. Wow. And so it's one of those circumstances where the second thing I tell people, if you're going to listen to anything, you might want to actually read your contract. Mm -hmm. And when I lecture on this, I will tell you, I tell people, I ask people, how many of you have contracts? How many of you have read your contracts? And I will tell you, they are lying a lot of the time when they say that. I mean, I'll, look, I'm a lawyer. I probably should have read my mortgage. Right. <laughs> I'm sure if there was something important, my lawyer would have pointed it out to me, right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Does every CRNA need a contract? I mean, is that... Nope. No. I, and very candidly, it really depends on the circumstances. And it depends on what people are doing. There are certain things that you have a right to under the law. So, like depending on where you're working and depending on you might be entitled to overtime and you don't necessarily need to have a contract that gives you their certain, you know, federal rights. They're going to provide that. But the issue becomes if you don't have a contract, you're entitled to what the law provides you, nothing more, nothing less. But if you want specific things, if you know that CRNA we were talking about where there was something very specific right. and that was important, if it's not there, if it's not an agreement, if it's not in writing, you just can't enforce it. And, what I tell people is very few people wake up on a random Tuesday, pull out their contract, read it, and go, man, this, I'm just so glad I have this. <laughs> Contracts are only relevant when things go bad, right? And when the honeymoon is over and when either they want to do something bad to you or you want to do something bad with them or whatever the situation is, that's when the contract comes into play. And so I always tell people, don't negotiate a contract don't enter into a contract when you're in a good mood right. find that one person who annoys you who just sort of puts you in a foul mood and then read it <laughs> that's actually very good wow. advice because if you stop and think about it it's kind of like after that first date right where you're only looking at all of the brilliant potential no one starts a job thinking oh this is gonna suck you're excited right. you're looking right a honeymoon but all of this stuff comes into relevant is what happens on the fifth date, what happens when the relationship's over, what happens. And so that's where 
you need that's where your contract comes into play because in the meantime if things are working well most people don't look and right. come back to their contract to say right. here are the terms kind of like a prenup with less hatred involved for sure <laughs> <laughs> well I don't know I've seen some pretty heated employment situations as well fair so. enough <laughs> but whenever you're negotiating your contract is everything on the table or so, should it be so the answer is theoretically everything is negotiable with the exception of you can't agree to something that's illegal right so darn <laughs> but what i'll tell you is this i think the biggest mistake that people make when they're looking at a contract is they focus too much on what they want instead of what they need and when i say that think about it like this if the employer needs a b and c and the employee needs x y and z and the two of them just don't cross right it's not going to be a good relationship right right if both sides can't get what they actually need but what you have to do then is you have to be honest about the difference of what you need and what you want i had a friend who worked in sales and he always wanted a company car because his father had been in sales and that was sort of the sign of you know you succeeded when you got that company car and so he negotiated negotiated and got himself a company car the only problem is they were happy to give it to him they just took the money out of what they were otherwise going to pay him and he wasn't making enough that he could afford to drive it around right and so the idea is he negotiated right himself right out of a situation because he was too fixated on something he wanted that he didn't really need and so that's what i would encourage people is to don't get me wrong a negotiation if you can both get what you need then you can have fun pushing a little back and forth over what you want versus what they want and that's all right right hmm. so what are some specific things CRNA should think about besides the wants and needs give us some specifics so let's what's the one thing everybody looks at in their contract money, how much money, you're money. paying me <laughs> right most people literally salary all right we're in good we're done very candidly what are the work environments going to be what is going to be expected of you on the job things like hours things very candidly you got to look at how the relationship ends Mm. and also how long is the contract back to the prenup that's right (laughs) well but the best example if i offered you a 20-year contract is that something you want well are my needs today going to reflect what i need five years 10 years 20 years from now and then what happens when the marketplace changes? What happens when reimbursement changes and all of a sudden everybody else is getting paid a lot more? Are you going to be able to renegotiate? Are they going to smile and say, I got a 20-year contract with you? You know, and this isn't the NFL where you can decide you're going to hold out. And uh, sorry, getting into a little political sports stuff. But <laughs> you don't necessarily get to renegotiate your contract. Right. And again, you get into that imbalance between the employer and the employee is if you're not adhering to the contract, they can sue you for breach of contract and so so you, what happens if you want to negotiate that contract is there no way to do it after you signed it you can always renegotiate a contract the only thing is sometimes the answer might be no uh-huh. or and this is another important thing if you're going to change a term of a contract we go back to that offer acceptance consideration mm-hmm. there usually has to be some degree of consideration to that uh-huh. so one of the greatest examples and this kind of ties into non-competes is a lot of CRNAs suddenly when they had new systems coming in, they said, hey, listen, we're going to make the following couple of changes to your contract. One of them is a non-compete. And uh, anyone who signs within the first 24 hours, we're going to give you a $1,000 bonus. 
I've heard that. All right. Wow. Thousand bucks. Now, let me ask you a question. <clears throat> Do you think they're doing that because they have your best interest at heart? I didn't sign it. <laughs> so, if there's a non-compete added to your contract, but there's no consideration, there have been some courts, some cases that have held that's not necessarily enforceable. But the odds go up of it being enforceable, and again, not guaranteed, but the odds go up if they offered you a new contract, it included this new term of a non-compete, and they gave you $1,000, and I guarantee you there will be something somewhere in there that says this $1,000 is in consideration for your agreeing to this non-compete. Mm. So, Well, now that we're talking about non-competes, <laughs> let's, mm. let's sort of define that for the listeners and then maybe talk about some of the pitfalls and, and things that can get them in trouble in a non-compete. So the first thing everyone has to know is this. Every state has its own interpretations of non-competes. The biggest mistake people make is they think they're just not enforceable. And there are some states in which they're not enforceable. But every state has its own regulations. They have their own case law. So this is another, again, area where I tell people, don't sign or agree to a non-compete if you have no intentions of adhering to it. And certainly don't do it unless you've already talked to a lawyer. Now, there are some states where they, for public policy reasons, will not enforce them. And so, therefore, it's a term of the contract that if no one's going to enforce it, it may be in there. But that doesn't necessarily mean because if, the let's say, the state law has said it's void for public policy, that it's against our public policy, we want a free marketplace, then that would be one of those illegal things right. that you can't agree to. So... Generally, what it is, is it's an agreement that says you're not going to be able to perform this job for a certain period of time in a certain geographical area. And the general baseline is that if it's reasonable within its scope, right? So the idea you can't do this for one year within, you know, five mile radius, and I'm just making up numbers, right? right? mm -hmm. That is certainly going to be considered more reasonable than you can't do it for 10 years anywhere in the United States. Right. Okay. I had a CRNA just, what it said is it said, uh, you will not practice within five miles of any facility that we own. And I just had him put a little carrot in there that just says, as of the execution of this contract. Why? There was so much merger going on in healthcare. What, three years later, they had, instead of 30 facilities, they suddenly had 200. Right. And so it's one of those things you have to think it through and you need to be playing chess when other people are playing checkers. So, Well, I had a, a situation, interesting. CRNA was working for actually a GI clinic and lost the contract. The group lost the contract and another group came in and took the contract. Well, she had a non-compete, but basically the new group that came in said, because you had a non-compete, which was a one year, we'll never hire you again. The new group did. Now, to me, that seemed like they are limiting her ability, ability to work. Yep. But they have refused to let, you know, unless she wants to fight it and go to court. You know, I mean, it's just. Well, and that's what I tell people is, look, read what it is, understand it. Is it transferable, right? Is it assignable is a big thing. Mm -hmm. And it's not everyone's favorite thing to do, but it's worth it to consult with a lawyer and figure out how this will and how this can impact. Yeah. The only other thing I'll say, considering that life is short. An employer that is going to be that nasty yeah. may well be an employer you're probably better off not working for. Yeah, I think that's very prudent advice right there. 
I believe so. Very prudent. So how do we find out if these non-competes are enforceable? You alluded to the fact earlier that some aren't. Is that just kind of a code amongst thieves or lawyers or whatever? Or is there a way to find out? (laughs) So what I will tell you is this. I have a cup in my office that says, please don't confuse your Google search with my law degree. (laughs) Well, we have those for nurse anesthesia too. (laughs) But one of the things I will tell you is you can just type in to your computer, non-compete in and put in your state. And usually you can find at least an article or a little bit of an understanding. Mm-hmm. Now, the first thing I'll tell you, though, is if you're going to you know, do Google legal research, see when it was written. Yeah. Right? Oh, because, good point. Well, because <laughs> there might be a brilliant article that was written in 1992 you know, that isn't reflective of what the law is today. But at the end of the day, it's a balancing of... Is there an interest that the employer has that's legitimate and that's trying to reasonably be protected? And it's trying to balance it against, as you put, people's right to pursue their own living. And it's everyone understands why businesses want it. And everyone understands why generally employees don't want it. And it's that imbalance of power that you really have to stop and think about. Well, Jeremy alluded to something just a couple of minutes ago. Let's say a new employer does step in to where I work at. How do we handle that whole scenario? So we've seen that happen in a number of situations. Oh, it's happening all the time. So, look, there's a lot of consolidation in healthcare. There's a lot of changing. And I understand that what I'm about to say, it's a lot easier to say this than it is to actually expect people to do this, (laughs) right? First off, you have to find out, are they giving you sort of a take it or a leave it situation? And there are some employers who will. So one is you can agree to whatever new contract they're offering. Two is you can negotiate with them for different terms. Make sure those things that are important to you are in there, things of that nature. But if you're prepared to offer an alternative solution that they're not willing to take, if you find yourself in that scenario where their needs and your needs Mm -hmm. don't intersect, one of the other things you can do is just you can move on. And it's not easy, and especially if you're in a community that used to have two or three health systems that now has one, or there was a surgery center you were happy to work at because you didn't want to work for the health system until the health system bought the surgery center. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a unfortunately, the consolidation of health care is not always in the best interest of health care providers, and I think we've seen a lot of that with the ACO model that you see suddenly a lot more health care providers who are employees of health systems rather than independent practitioners, and that's something that... It limits people's choices. Well, that made me think about the Michigan 68 when right. you said that. I mean, that was a very similar situation. Mm-hmm. You know, the anesthesiologist came in and basically bought the contract out from the hospital and wanted to employ all the CRNAs, but he was going to cut their salary, cut their benefits. And, and they didn't want to agree to that new agree. contract, and so they pushed to negotiate and to offer a new solution. And look, again, when I make that comment about playing chess, uh, let's be honest. One of the things we should have learned from that situation is you have to have things thought out and thought through. Because if all of a sudden your new solution is, well, actually, we think you should consider negotiating with us as a different group. If you don't have, if you're not incorporated, if you don't have a corporate entity, if you don't have anything protected, who's going to be your CPA? Who's going to cover your insurance? You got to think these things through so that at the very least, Mm -hmm. you know, consider it like your emergency duffel you keep in your bed or under the bed or in the closet, something that, you know. You want to have thought these things through so you know how to handle it. Learn from the experiences of other CRNAs to make sure you're better prepared to protect yourself, your practice, your family. 
Well, I mean, you bring up another good point there, and it makes me think about independent contractor CRNAs who are out there, you know, working in, in different facilities and different places. I mean, do you recommend as a whole that they incorporate to kind of shield from some liability, or what are your thoughts around that? So I personally recommend that people always have some degree of corporate structure. And the reason is because that's what's going to separate the liability of your business. So if you're a sole proprietor, if I am Mark Incorporated, well, not Mark Incorporated, I'm just Mark doing business, right? then if I commit malpractice, if I get sued, if I do anything, then they can come after anything that is Mark's. (laughs) If I have a corporate structure and I'm adhering to all the rules, and so that's why if you're going to have you know, in corporation, you're going to want to coordinate either with a lawyer or with a CPA or both to make sure what are the rules and am I following them, mm-hmm. then that's going to provide you a degree of protection because as long as you're doing things the right way, the only thing they can recover from is the corporation, not from you, you personally. personally. Yep. So, I think that's very uh, wise advice. You know, we get calls from CRNAs all the time who are doing 1099 who aren't incorporated and, you know, yes... Your malpractice insurance should cover you, but I think in the last couple of years, you know, we've seen right. several of those carriers exit the business and mm-hmm. left those CRNAs exposed. And just another reason there to, to dot all your eyes and cross all your T's. And and it's it's a degree of how <clears throat> risk averse you are. Yeah. So in closing, have you got any words of wisdom for CRNAs whenever they are entering into a contract and? What are the things they should be looking for, particularly? You know, look, at the end of the day, in a good relationship, in a good contract, there's going to be that give and take, and there's going to be that balancing of needs. The hardest thing is for, you know, starting CRNAs. I've had this happen where a lot Mm -hmm. of students will reach out to me, and they will call me, and they say, can you help me negotiate the terms of my first contract? And I think the unfortunate reality is there's a lot of situations where they don't have enough market power, enough share. to. They might be getting that take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. situation right. and that's unfortunate right. but what i think you need to do is you need to educate yourself it's still a worthwhile undertaking i mean i'll go through contracts i'll talk through things with you without making you hire me without you know you know any money because the idea is we want crnas to be smart we want them to know what their rights are how to protect themselves because at the end of the day at different points in your career you're going to have those opportunity and if you think it through and you prepare and you plan it'll all come together well, very, very good advice. And Mark, we want to thank you for being here today. You've done a great job. And he, he does have that awesome radio voice. I know. Give Come us, on, do, give do us one of your promos. Do yeah, do a promo. Do for the AM okay. voice for us. Well, I know. Just the AM listening voice, or did you want the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday monster truck rally at the extravaganza? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> and on that note, uh, Sharon, you should have heard, heard me at seven this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, We want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mask with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you're a fan, we would ask that you just subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate us. Leave us a review. Only if it's positive, please. (laughs) And please share our episodes on social media to get the word out. It's a wrap. Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode 
to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group. Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny.